All right, we're back with episode 17 of the Auto Week podcast. Uh, we're going to be covering the second half, or I guess part two, of our Monster Trucks review, where we really get past the uh, get past the you know basic plot points and get into some of the backstory, how the movie got made, uh, who the players were. Um, I'm actually joking. We're going to talk about Auto Week's awards, the Auto Week awards special issue. Uh, we're going to talk about motorsports. We're going to talk about car culture, and we're going to talk a little bit. We don't do Auto Week doesn't do a uh, end of the end of the year car award. We don't do best car to buy uh, awards. But if we did, we're going to talk about what would have won. So I'm joined here in the Auto Week studio, making his very first appearance on the Auto Week podcast. You're supposed to say your name. Oh, Matt Weaver. Matt Weaver, who in your title? As Associate Motorsports Editor of this fine publication. And where where do you live? Where are you from? Tell us uh, originally from Mobile, Alabama, now uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Excellent. And we have... Uh, Mike uh, Price and Motorsports Editor. I, I'm gesturing to the guys when they're yeah, supposed to yeah, yeah, well, they're seeing that on the simulcast, yeah. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And Graham Kozak, Features Editor. <laughs> New also. title. Well, that last podcast. You were oh. Features Editor to last yeah, podcast? Yeah, I think oh. so, yeah. yeah. Is that true? Can we run that back yep. research department? All right. Yeah. And I'm Rory. I'm the publisher. Um, so I think we should start, we should kick this off talking about, you know, kind of why we do the awards. Graham, do you want to cover that? I think it was your idea. Uh, well, yeah. Sorry. I don't want to take all the credit for it. But yeah. no, the, the whole idea was, you know, instead of singling out a car or, um, you know, car, truck, whatever, we, we were going to take a look at the, the people and the events Sometimes the manufacturers that uh, that shape car culture and you know motorsports as we saw it over the previous year. So it's a little bit broader than just picking a, a single product. Is that yeah, we used. To, I mean, we used to do a Car of the Year award. Um, it was called Best of the Best, and then it was Best of the U.S. I think there was like American something, America's Ooh. Best. Uh, before that, um, and we kind of you know over time came to the conclusion that it wasn't really reflective of who Auto Week was, and so. Um, you know, to Graham's, what Graham was saying, we, we kind of sat down and said, okay, who is Auto Week and what should we be focusing on for these awards? Um, we came down to a number of motorsports categories and then uh, a, a car culture category. So let's go ahead and start with the motorsports since we've got the two racing guys here. Where do you guys want to start? What's what's your uh, what's your highlight? Well, let's start with a take. I mean, I, let's start with the I think maybe the biggest takeaway. Uh, of the year, and it's the retirement of Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, you know, we're, we're losing a NASCAR icon uh, from the sport, and he was named our Auto Week Achievement Award winner, uh, which is also the Denise McCluggage Award for the longtime uh, columnist for the for the publication. And uh, I think Dale Jr. was a easy pick this year, as uh, you know, as that because of the influence he had on you know racing over the last two decades. Yeah, Weaver, you wrote that story, right? I did. Yeah. Um, and so tell us a little bit, I guess, why why Dale has this award and why... I mean, this was one of the only ones that we had that was like, there was no other choice. Like, it was pretty much decided. You know, Dale is such a fascinating figure in NASCAR history because he never won a cup championship, but he's up there in terms of popularity and uh, historical importance with his dad, with Jeff Gordon, Richard Petty, Darrell Waltrip, all the greats. And I, I think his achievements aren't so much on the track, but actually off it. Um, Dell Jr. had mighty big shoes to fill, and I think the expectations for him to fill it 
on the track were probably a little too heavy, a little too unrealistic. But the way that he fulfilled the role of being the face of stock car racing when, when his father passed away in, in 2001 was just remarkable. Um, right now we see in NASCAR that there are so few transcendent figures. And Jeff Gordon's gone. Tony Stewart is gone. And there, there were very few personalities that rose above stock car racing as a whole. And, and Dale Jr. is one of those names. You could go to all corners of the globe and uh, people would know who Dale Jr. is, not only for his exploits on the track, but also uh, his charitable work, his ability to eloquently speak on the topics of the day, uh, to, to manage controversy with with ease and i think that those are his lasting contributions to the industry yeah i mean I, I, he's probably a guy who you know if, like like you said if you go anywhere in the world and say okay you know do you know what nascar is who's who's a nascar driver that you know he's the guy i mean he's he's the he is the public face of, of the sport um departing now i think leaving a huge huge hole i, I don't think there's anybody with the degree of recognition uh, that that he had in the sport, and really, I, you know, it's one of those things. That racing today, we talk about everybody being kind of a sanitized. Uh, a, you know, the racers are products, um, in, in who are aimed at, at maintaining relationships with sponsors uh, as opposed to being actual people. Um, and I I think that's that's kind of the case in NASCAR now with with this crop of you know superstars going away. Um, It'll be interesting to see, you know, at a time when NASCAR desperately needs a way to bring people into the sport and and uh, generate some some interest around it. Um, it'll be interesting to see if if anyone is able to step up and, and kind of play that role. Well, Matt, I mean, you've been out in this. You're out in the press rooms every week. Uh, you know, we're losing the driver that was the most popular driver for the last 15 years uh, in the sport. I mean, who fill who does fill that void? I mean, it's funny we talk about the huge gap between number one and whoever number two might be. I mean, Jimmy Johnson has seven championships. I mean, arguably, at the end of the day, the case could is going to be made. Uh, he could be one of the top two or three drivers of all time. Yet he isn't the natural to fill that void, is he? No, that would be uh, Chase Elliott. I mean, I, NASCAR doesn't release the the actual top ten in order, but I think if you look at merchandising sales, you look at um, all the information that we have available to us. And um, Chase Elliott is the next guy in line. And those are pretty big shoes to fill, too. But so were the shoes that Dell Jr. had to fill. And it isn't necessarily results-based. It's about uh, forging a connection. What made Dell Jr. so likable was that in an era of celebrity steering wheel holders, he was a driver and he was a relatable human being. And he felt like a um, an everyman trapped in a celebrity's body. And I, I think that's going to be the expectation for Chase Elliott, a, another second-generation driver um, born into the family business. And now he's going to have to pick up NASCAR on his back and carry it into this next generation with Eric Jones and uh, with Ryan Blaney, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano. Yeah, I, I, and, and this is not a, a knock on... I guess it is a knock on Chase Elliott, but he—I mean—he's no uh, Dylan Hart Jr. Certainly, uh, in my mind. So I—I I, I do hope that NASCAR puts the the work in, and maybe 
um, some sponsors have to kind of relax their expectations of these guys as pitchmen and let them be who they are. Um, because, you know, ultimately, like, it's great to have your logo on a guy's fire suit, but um, you want that person to be famous. You want that person to be recognized and loved um, like some of these outgoing stars were. I think the knock on Chase is that he doesn't have that naturally outgoing, um, marketable, relatable personality. Yeah, he seems Remember, like a dork. But yeah. Dale Jr. didn't either when he Jr. started. Yeah. Dale Jr. used to have to wear sunglasses in front of the media just to be able to overcome his nervousness. Yeah, to yeah. Be you able talk to, about he grew into that role of elder statesman and you know whatever he says, people do listen. Because the first three, four, five, maybe ten years of his career, very measured in press conferences, did almost the minimum in press conferences, mm-hmm. and he was not... You know, the first guy people would go to for a controversy, a statement on a controversy, because he either wouldn't give you one or it'd be so soft spoken there was no, you know, power yeah. behind it. I mean, I think too, though, that part of that is, you know, once you become Dale Earnhardt Jr. and you're you're the guy, then your sponsors can't say, you know, you you, you can say what you want, you can say what's on your mind, your sponsors aren't going to drop you. You're Dale Earnhardt Jr. But I think and, Dale had, was handled correctly in yeah. that he wasn't going to go out and you know, make a fool of himself by saying, speaking on something he really wasn't right. passionate about. Or Unlike Chase a, Elliott. You know, and we've had other uh, NASCAR guys that they get a few wins under their belt and suddenly they, they raise their hands looking for the media to come yeah. to them. I mean, Brad Kozlowski, when he won his first title, it was almost like overnight he decided I was going to be the spokesman for NASCAR. Mm-hmm. And I think that offended a lot of people and turned off a lot of people. And I think gradually the last couple of years, he's kind of dialed it back a little bit and it's actually become a little more likable. Yeah. All right, so we can't spend all day talking about Dale Earnhardt Jr., but we are going to continue to talk about NASCAR uh, with our driver of the year. Um, this was this was a little bit, um, I think, more difficult to pick. Ultimately, uh, we picked Martin Truex Jr. Just had an incredible year. Um, obviously, uh, history's greatest villain, Lewis Hamilton, was in the conversation. Uh, Brittany Force. Brittany Force was absolutely in the conversation. Noogie was in the conversation. Yep. Joseph Newgarden. Um, but Truex's season and the the way they did it at Furniture Row, um, just an incredible story, incredible racing story. And the, the eight wins, 26 top tens, I mean, they were dominant. They're, he deserved it. Um, and, it, and it's like I said, it's a cool story. I mean, you read the magazine. If you hadn't been following NASCAR this year uh, – you know, I think Matt Matt mentioned, uh, and we, we you know we can go ahead and spoil it. But the uh, the winner of the team of the year was Furniture Row, so Truex's team. But to go from a back marker, sometimes a team that start and parked is that I mean Absolutely. when they were starting uh, to a championship is beyond cool. I mean that's that's a great great motorsports story. Martin Truex's career was left for dead. It was DOA when he got released from Michael Waltrip Racing in that um, playoff-fixing scandal back in 2013. He only was able to land at Furniture Row by the chance of Kurt Busch leaving at the exact same time to go to Stuart Haas Racing. That was not a natural fit. Now, Truex wasn't directly involved in that playoff fixing but he lost his sponsor yeah let's, that was the that yeah, was kind he of was the, the one guy that in had a, the in least a sentence to do or two it. let's explain what the playoff fixing scandal was yeah so leading up to the last race of the regular season back in 2013 um it was a points battle back then it's not the win in your end model now and there were a handful of cars including um the michael walter racing 55 of martin truex who was right there on the bubble 
and Ty Norris, who was Michael Wal- or Michael Walter Bracing's general manager, uh, Truex's spotter, was talking to other teams trying to manipulate the results of the race to get Truex the positions he needed to get in. Um, those efforts proved successful, but NASCAR found out, and uh, they ultimately penalized them for it. But, so, he, but he did land uh, with, with Furniture Row, and uh, obviously that story took a nice turn for Truex. Yeah, really, really cool story. Um, we'll, we'll move from there to, I don't know, where do you guys want to go next? We have, um, we have Manufacturer of the Year. Uh, or we can stay in NASCAR and talk about our rising star. Let's, let's do the let's rising star. That, yeah. That'll wrap up NASCAR for us. And the rising star award this year, uh, I think this was actually another one of those near slam dunks. Uh, William Byron, uh, this kid has been phenomenal uh, coming from the truck series where he, you know, was, he won what, five races, I believe, last year and uh, almost won a championship there to this year, you know, dominating and winning the uh, – Xfinity series and he's got a, a ride next year with Hendrick so obviously they think he's something and uh, I think that was an easy one uh, you know uh, Matt you've seen you've seen Byron uh, you know before he even got to NASCAR uh, you knew this kid was going to be something special well you say that and I remember the first time I watched him race was a, a late model race in Georgia where he spun out a couple of times in practice and I said you know, I don't think this kid's got it <laughs> and uh, the next five years, he has proven me wrong every step of the way. We talked earlier in the podcast about NASCAR needing the next face, the next generation. This kid could be it. Um, it's no surprise to me or anyone that Rick Hendrick is taking Chase Elliott, moving him out of the 24, letting him embrace his own identity, be the number nine again, and putting William Byron in Jeff Gordon's iconic car number because he's expected to be that guy. He has won every step along the way. He won the most truck races two years ago, won the Xfinity Championship this year, and now Rick Hendrick is putting him in the 24, and he is just a, he's a freak of nature. He is a, a wonder kind. He is a, um, he is just that generational talent that comes along once every couple of decades. I have zero doubt, zero, that William Byron's going to win races and championships for the next you know, twenty years to come. Is he is he going to be like the popular guy, or is he going to be more like a Jimmy Johnson that just goes about his business, winning races, while Chase Elliott takes all the uh, most popular driver awards? It's hard to say because I think the NASCAR fan base is always uh, more easily embraced guys who are kind of the anti-hero, who are not your t- traditional clean cut, clean shaven uh, good guys, and that's what William Byron is. Uh, Sponsored by uh, Liberty University, right? I mean, you can't exactly. get much more clean cut than that. But I think what's that, Liberty University? Is that is that uh, what's his name? Yeah, what's his name? You know, the wasn't that the, the pizza guy? Jerry Caldwell. Jerry Falwell. Falwell. Jerry, Jerry Falwell. Falwell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bankrolled yeah. by uh, Domino's. No, Jerry Fall. What? Jerry? F- I'm pretty sure that's Monahan. No. Yeah. Didn't he give a well, bunch of Monahan's? Uh, well, he's at Ava Maria University oh. in Naples. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but sorry, Falwell geez. University. Yeah, this was this was Falwell's deal. Yeah. You know, and, and but again, he's had that sponsorship for years, and it's a real. I mean, there's a lot of uh, clauses in that contract that he's got to keep his uh, nose clean, so to speak, to to keep that deal. Oh, we should Indeed. corrupt him. We should have him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Let's corrupt him. That's- I've known William for five years, and <laughs> I've tried my darndest. No, we'll get him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, this is your new assignment: is corrupt William Byron. That's my make him uh, lose his sponsorship, huh? No, but, but well, no, no. Your, your he can get a different Mike. sponsor if he's that good. <laughs> he doesn't need to be doing that. Um. He is Bible so salesman. he is so genuine though that I think that 
the moment that fans are introduced to him and they just kind of get the chance to know him through TV in person, that you can't help but to really root for the guy because he is he is every bit the person that he comes across as on TV. So we're looking for a William Byron and uh, Chase Elliott uh, era. Pretty sounds much. like you know, uh, you know, uh, you know. Kyle Larson came in with those kind of expectations, but boy, he's got to start delivering pretty soon too, because these two young kids are right on his heels and going to pass him. He he had a decent season this year. He, had a, he was he was yeah, absolutely he, in the mix. Yeah, he was in the mix. Um, won some races. Looked good doing it. Um, he's someone I, I root for uh, for sure. But again, someone it's NASCAR is so, you know especially as you know I, I don't follow NASCAR as closely as these guys do, but. Um, Man, they really sanitize these guys. The the lack of person, you know, the difference between talking to a guy in person versus seeing him in any kind of NASCAR uh, context is night and day. It's really mind blowing. Like you think, like okay, these are some really interesting guys. You know, I wish they could find a way to get this across. But I think again, sponsors have to loosen up a little bit and allow these people to be people and and say things that aren't. Um, Necessarily, you know, uh, marketing messages. Well, we're talking about most popular driver and stuff too. Uh, Chase Elliott has got such a leg up on William Byron because there's that legacy factor. Right. I mean, there are so. I mean, Bill Elliott was the most popular driver, you know, before Dale and Jr. was. Yeah. So you've got the, the, you know, NASCAR can still still has that link to its past. I guess you could say where you know the old style, the old style fan is still gonna. Oh, I know who Chase Elliott is because I know his dad. Yeah. Now William Byron is somebody they're gonna have to warm to and and you know learn. And I, th- I think they will because, of, again, eventually the success is going to dictate you go find out a little about this guy. And he, William Byron, that, that's a name. It sounds like uh, English nobility. William Byron sounds like uh, <laughs> poet. Is that he's, he's, he's a poet? Yeah, he's, an, uh, he's got an Lord estate. Byron. You yeah, know. Uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't help too that his father, um, who is Bill Byron, is one of the wealthiest people in the Carolinas. He he runs a hedge fund. Branch in, in Charlotte. We got to get to the bottom of this. So he's Bill. Don't call me William Byron. Is that yeah. his dad? Okay. Right. We got to get to the bottom of this. this. We're gonna we're gonna corrupt this kid. I like. Or he's him. gonna become the most popular driver real quick. Well, I listen. <laughs> is, with me as his image consultant, nice. I think he could be the most popular driver within weeks. Don't yeah. forget that Chase Elliott had that kind of woke moment at Martinsville when he got punted and he got out of the car and he was ready for a fight. So I think if NASCAR can elicit those sort of yeah. raw responses yeah, for sure. moving forward out of Chase, God, out of I'd William. I'd love to see Chase uh, get in a fight. Like, <laughs> yeah. like 110 pounds soaking wet. That, that, well, who, Byron's not any bigger. It'd be funny to watch those <laughs> guys go at it. You know, and not with a flyweight division. <laughs> yeah. All right, so moving on uh, from NASCAR, we're going to talk about um, – a moment of the year, I think. Sure, let's talk about our moment. So of the year. this was one that I, we had to like walk over Price, and he was pissed off about this one. But for a moment this year, I mean, it was a month long moment. It was a month long moment, but I don't think there was anything in my head that generated more excitement in motorsports this year than Fernando Alonso going to Indy uh, for the Indy Five Hundred. That was at the race, leading up to the race. I think there was a Thursday practice. His first time in the car on you know on video or, or live TV, they like four hundred thousand people tune in to watch. Oh, it was two million. It two was, million. Two people. million on YouTube to, to watch, watch him uh, his first practice to, laps and to get the rookie orientation. That is insane. That I is, mean, I, I can't imagine. We were watching it. Yeah, we, we, that's the first time I've ever watched a Tuesday practice like March third or third right. or whatever it was. You know, it was. Yeah, I mean, really, really incredible. And then the atmosphere at the track. Everybody was buzzing about it all weekend. Everybody wanted to go see him in the pit. And then, the, you know, the reaction during the race, uh, you know, when he was leading laps, running strong towards the end of the race, people were going 
absolutely nuts, which I did not expect. I expected like the Jean Girard thing where, yeah. you know, it's like, here's this interloper who's showing up. But the IndyCar people were, were all about it. And then, you know, to see him recognize when, ironically, he DNFs because his engine blew up, which is exactly what had happened to him uh, in Formula One. But the the recognition that he got from the fans was was fantastic, uh, which is like you know such a great such a great thing about Indy where this guy came in again and I was expecting the uh, the interloper thing where where he would not be welcome. He was embraced. People were excited about the idea of a two time uh, Formula One champ coming and winning the Indy five hundred on his first try. People were really excited for him. And well, give his handlers credit for a lot of that, Rory, because the F one driver coming to Indy, there's this perception that F one drivers are untouchable, unapproachable, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And frankly, they are. When you go to a Formula yeah. One race, even at Coda down in Austin, Texas, uh, we we went down there this year to, to to cover that race. We had a scheduled interview with a driver. His handler comes over to us moments before the interview and says, "Oh, I know I promised you guys fifteen minutes, but he only has six minutes left on his contract this weekend because we went over yesterday." Yeah. So I mean, that's how they they run things in Formula One. When Fernando Alonso got to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, immediately he's taking selfies with fans. Yeah. He, he was he loosened up. He was out there autographed talking to people he, he did more media that month than he's probably done all season yeah. in f1 and it and, seemed and it like was he was beautiful. having fun and oh, it, exactly it, you know like, he was wow. he was hanging out with rossi and connor daly former auto week intern connor daly and uh seemingly, <laughs> he's looking for a job by the way i know he's got I, that on his resume he can always come back here yeah we got a spot it, for him yeah, we can't pay him but no, no, uh, that intern yeah. that intern thing worked well yeah he was he was a very good intern so he's always and i i i'm surprised we haven't been asked for a, a letter of recommendation for him to be honest i'm expecting i was expecting a resume yes yeah, i'm saying uh, i'm forget the, he, he wants to work for us i think connor oh yeah we'll have him back tell him i mean i told him on twitter he didn't think it was funny. So he didn't think it was super funny at the time because he had just lost his job. But well, I mean, after St. Pete, when the season's rolling and he's not out yeah. there, he, it's gonna we're gonna look pretty good. Yeah, we're gonna look pretty pretty good. <laughs> oh, yeah, free lunch on Friday on shift day. But he's, uh, Connor Daly's in the Amazing Race, you know. That's a job of sorts. Well, um, I don't know if he wins that thing, he may have a career in reality TV. Buy Auto Week. Ooh, work for him. <laughs> anyway, so it, it seemed as though Fernando was having a ton of fun, and the the impact you know on him when he. Uh, you know, obviously, his Formula One season was not uh, fun in in any uh, shape, shape or form, uh, way, shape or form. But um, it seemed to be the best, you know, the best month he had all year. And um, you know, it was interesting hearing the Formula One guys, with the exception of Lewis, um, you know, who were who were very happy for him and who were very like kind of into the idea of. This is a is a fun important thing you can go do. So. I think, well, yeah, go ahead, Ray. I'm sorry. I think it's a testament to what that event has become again here in this mm-hmm. like a hundredth anniversary era. Um, don't forget that this is a race that wasn't selling out right. for the past decade, and then you get to the hundredth running, then you get Alonzo. There is a buzz, momentum, yeah, surrounding the Indy 500. This is a destination race. Yep. Kurt Busch did it a couple of years ago. Alonzo has done it now. You have other F1 drivers, other NASCAR drivers. Drivers from all disciplines want to come here and be a part of this race. Yep. And they know that the, those fans, that fan base, are going to embrace them because they want to see the best in the world come to their chosen discipline. And so I, I think that is just a unique environment. Yeah, yeah. and it, it's not even like... It's Graham not even like, by the way. Oh, yeah. Hey, Graham. Just listening, observing. It's not even like this is... Uh, it's unprecedented. I mean, I think indie fans would love to see... 
as in the past, you know, top drivers from around the world, you know, from Formula One coming to compete. You know, it, it's not even like he's an interloper. It's like, yeah, we want, right? You know, yeah, this this makes this makes Indy better. Better. You yeah. know, it's, I mean, yeah, traditionally. To Graham's point, you would have teams and drivers from all, you know, they would skip a Formula One race and come here, or they they would take time out. Th- that's part of the indie mystique. But, yeah, I think this kind of, the fact that this was so well-received shows kind of what fans from all racing series want in racing. I think the reason people reacted so well to, you know, how human the whole thing was, you know, coming over to do this race, and people were really enthusiastic because they got to see a side of, you know, Alonso that maybe they wouldn't have in the F1 context, like you were saying, Mike, you know, things were a little looser, things were a little more fun and intriguing and interesting. I do have a a pretty substantial regret, though, from that weekend, Uh, and not just one of the usual ones, but I should have bought one of those McLaren Andretti Honda hats. They are so sharp. They're so cool, and I was thinking, like, I'll just go in when I get home. They don't sell them anymore, and, like, I looked on eBay, and they're, like, $150 now. I could have bought one for 30 bucks in the track. But it wouldn't it wouldn't have fit on my giant head anyway, so I don't know. There you I'm, go. I'm kidding. But uh, so that's my one regret. So if you're listening to this, someone at Honda, uh, McLaren, or Andretti, <laughs> please send me a giant sized hat. Um, <laughs> next, we have uh, well, man, a constructor award. Constructor, the last one. Uh, the last one. It's the last one. God, we are doing well, good. No, we got the, we got the big the big show, the big show over one, here yeah. with uh, oh, with yeah, Graham. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the last motorsports award though is the constructor award and. Again, this is a not exactly a slam dunk this year, but we went with uh, Chevrolet. Uh, Chevrolet first two-time winner in the history of the yeah, Auto they, Awards. Yeah, they won it two years ago. Uh, we gave it to them two years ago. This year, you know, Chevrolet's bar is so high. Uh, I, I contacted a few of their representatives, and they were kind of like, you know, we're not exactly jumping on the mountain celebrating this thing because we didn't win the Cup championship. I mean, that's one of the big you know stars in their in their helmet or whatever that they want. And they did not win the cup championship, but they won just about everything else this year that they entered. Uh, they're in five series and they did win a, a championship in each one of those five series. Uh, they won the IndyCar championship, of course, with uh, team Penske and uh, Joseph Newgarden. Uh, they swept uh, the mellow yellow NHRA series, uh, winning all three major ones with, uh, uh, you know, funny car, top fuel and uh, pro stock. They won all three of those classes, uh, NASCAR. They did win the Xfinity series. Uh, IMSO, they won the real popular and uh, competitive GT series with that Corvette racing program, and they won a class or two in the Pirelli World Challenge. So, I mean, when you step back, uh, it's another big year, a lot of uh, trophies in the trophy case, and, and we're going to throw in one more for uh, Constructor of the Year. We uh, So some other ones that we talked about, we talked about Porsche, who had some success at uh, Le Mans and uh, in endurance racing at IMSA. Um, Toyota was we, we talked, Toyota. Toyota was very very close yeah. to getting this award. Toyota mind. won has, has won the Cup championship now two two years in a row, and that's a big deal. Um, after Chevy had won it the previous, I believe it was thirteen years or, or so, and uh, you know, so that's a big deal for Toyota to win back to backs. And and we did talk about that, and they have been, uh, you know, they're duly noted in our in our in our heads and in our hearts as a, as an up and coming uh, manufacturer on that Cup side, and uh, they're the ones to be going in next year again. Yeah, and I I think. You know their effort at in Le Mans. You know part part of the reason. You know to be very honest, why Porsche didn't win this is because of their their pulling out of uh, LMP1 at Le Mans. We don't typically give this award to um, to manufacturers who are leaving a series or, or leaving a, a big stage like Le Mans. So Toyota's commitment to to endurance racing to Le Mans being the odds-on favorite next year was mm-hmm. is uh, you know worked a little bit in their favor, uh, but again. Chevy just being in every series seemingly 
um, being successful in every series um, pushed them over the edge. So, go ahead. The, the thing to me that stands out about Chevy is that even if they don't dominate everything they're a part of, racing is in their DNA. And even if they take some lumps like they did in NASCAR this year and they start to kind of fall behind, they're not, they're not leaving. They're not going to step away. They're going to huddle during the offseason. They're going to reassess where things fell short, and they're going to come back stronger than before. And you're going to see that in NASCAR next year with the new Camaro new body. Car, yep. Yep. Um, they do not decommit at all. They are there at every level of motorsports. Yep. And, again, racing is just what they do. Yep. And that's, that, is such a, um, that is such an incredible belief in the power of motorsports on a corporate level to say – not only are we going to be in all these series, but we're going to be in a series uh, to win uh, at at every level and 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 put the money and put the people behind those efforts um, is really commendable. In my and, mind. and they fret more over what they didn't win instead yeah. of all the honors they do win. It's mm-hmm. just it's a neat culture over oh, yeah. there and a culture that you know, boy, I tell you what, I'd love to be a part of that culture anywhere <laughs> I work. You know, seriously, but I think we've got that here. You want you, you worry about what you've not accomplished, and, and, and that instead of patting yourself on the back for what you have, and that's a commendable uh, trait. Yeah, yeah. I mean, go talk to Jim Campbell after any race that they don't win and see what kind of mood he's in. Um, so I, I anyway, we're very happy to give that award to Chevy. The uh, the final award, um, the one that we brought Graham in to talk about. Um, is one that is is very important to us. It's going to be the cover of the magazine. It is the cover of the magazine. Um, it's our Car Culture Award. So this is an award for someone who's been a great um, ambassador uh, for car culture in culture generally. So this is someone who brings new people into, uh, into the fold and into our world. Um, we chose Kazunori Yamauchi, who is the guy behind uh, the Gran Turismo uh, video game series. Um, Graham, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, the reasoning? Yeah, so Gran Turismo, it, it's this this blockbuster uh, PlayStation video game series that the, the first one came out in 97. 97 yeah. And the, uh, the most recent one, Gran Turismo Sport, came out last year. So it was kind of a nice, you know, solid two-decade run so far and counting. Um, De- decade run. Two-decade, yeah. 97. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Is that 20 <laughs> hate, years? hate to break it to you, but... <laughs> oh. Yeah. So... Uh, oh, that was a bad feeling for me. They, Sorry. Yeah. It's... Uh, th- well, that that's part of it. You know, the the thing is... Part of it is how bad it made me feel. Though. Part of it <laughs> yeah, is that it has... the element, yeah. Part of it is that video games have been shaping popular culture and car culture for, for over two decades now. This is how a solid generation, maybe two generations of enthusiasts, have interacted with cars... Uh, and you know, I, I didn't write the 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 story talking about Kaz as he's known, his influence. Uh, Jake Lingaman did. He's uh, driving through the hellscape of California at this point, so I'm kind of filling in. He's the video game guy. I'm not, but even as somebody whose video game experience is pretty much Mario Kart and you know that kind of side of it, I know how influential the Gran Turismo series has been. It's uh, it, it's a one of the first games that really tried to look at all elements of, of how cars are experienced, the sounds, the obviously realistic graphics, um, the physics of it, the physics of the tracks. Uh, and that was something that people wanted. I mean, they've made over a billion dollars in what 76 million copies sold of the first six yeah. games. Yeah. Um, 
they'll probably break a hundred million. Yeah, copies. I mean, it is a it's a bona fide phenomenon, and it it's again how how people from kids up to you know thirty year olds now have have really learned about cars, car handling, cars we never got in the U.S., cars that racing series we never got in the U.S. It it is, uh, you know, as Jake said, kind of when, when you were growing up in, say, the 80s, you'd have a poster on your wall of a Lamborghini that, you know, you hoped you might even see uh, someday. I fair faucet for me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you can have both. How old are you, Mike? <laughs> but for, for, for generations after that, it's, oh, I have this car in this game, and, you know, maybe someday I'll get to drive one or even own one. It, it's it's a different way of interacting with cars, and it, it wouldn't have happened in the way that it did without Kaz and uh, you know the the Gran Turismo series. So. And, and what I love about it too is you know, yes, it is you know it was uh, millions of people, untold millions of people worldwide. It was their introduction to motorsport or their introduction to cars. Um, it's a way for them to go experience cars that you know they like. Graham said would maybe never see in their lives. But the the thing that really, um, in my mind, makes this special is uh, Kaz's absolute obsession with getting it right. And I think that's something that we've seen, you know, with past winners of this award too. Um, that his love for cars, his love for for the automobile and for car culture, is expressed in this obsessive. Um, pursuit of of making a real simulator where the cars handle the way they handle in real life where they you can feel the weight of the cars where um you know the tires break loose at the at the right moment where the tracks you know if, if you go play this new game and you you're driving tracks that i've you know been lucky enough to drive on in real life now and it's exactly like being there i mean it's it's the the difference and it will only continue to get better as this game evolves but you know, it's like the the pebbles on the side of the track are in the right place. I mean, it's just it's just crazy this kind of love letter to cars and car culture that you know you, you really have to love this stuff on a on a very deep you know almost spiritual level I think to um, to create something like this and it's it's unparalleled anywhere else in um, in media I think uh, this this level of uh, you know pursuing. Um, this experience and, and pursuing it for the sake of, you know, this is not a simulator that um, you have to be a pro race team or you have to be a multimillionaire to afford. I mean, any kid, not any kid, but you know, this is a $50 game that um, is accessible and that, that is obviously super popular and it's, it's something that you can go do. Um, and I, that, that to me is, is, is so valuable to, to me as, as, as someone who cares about car culture <clears throat> And wants to see it grow and survive. Um, it's it's people like this that that enable that. To me, I remember the first time I played Gran Turismo, and I was at my neighbor's house. Again, I was ninety eight, so I was ten years old, which is remarkable. Um, I've always been a racing guy, but I was never really a car guy, and that distinction started to kind of merge through Gran Turismo. I've always enjoyed competition. Uh, my grandpa raced, my dad raced, I raced. So I've always understood racing on a purely competitive level. But through playing Gran Turismo, I was I was introduced to all these different brands of cars, the manufacturers, the OEMs, and you start to develop brand loyalty to, to vehicles you've never seen in real life. Mm-hmm. And that that's his his 
his legacy to yeah. me is that he's been able to introduce these vehicles to people who may not e- even get a chance to see them in real life and, and the, to be able to bridge that that gap between racers and car culture to me is what this is all about and there's there's something really i mean something crazy that you know we we haven't been able to pin down as far as you know documenting it but the the rumor and the the kind of conventional wisdom at the time it was when the Subaru WRX came to the states it was because the car had fans from Gran Turismo so people had played Gran Turismo driven the WRX and then said hey why don't we get this in the states Europe gets it Japan gets it why don't we get it and that played a huge part in that car coming uh coming to the states and the same thing is, is the true G- the GTR the GTR we we got quotes from uh from a couple of folks at Nissan who they didn't say this is the reason that the car came to the US but you know it it was definitely a contributing factor for a nameplate that had never been sold in the US yeah. but people have known about for yeah 20 years and obsessed about and dreamed about game. importing because they played it in the game and i think that's that's like a you know the the excuse we always got was well, no one would buy a WRX if you if you sold it in the states, or nobody would buy a GTR because people don't get it. They don't they don't get that um, that type of car here. And when the car company could look and say like, oh no, we actually have a built in fan base already of people who know about this car and want it. Um, that that had to move the needle for them. And and there are other examples of of the game bleeding back into reality. There's the um, the GT Academy that Nissan's been a part of that that came about. Um, seen Gran Turismo Five, I think two thousand seven um where they've been taking the top uh in-game drivers and then giving them real on-track experience with with some impressive class winning results at you know yeah, top we have level real racers winning races who who learned how to drive in gran turismo and then we mentioned in the article uh the corvette the the c7 stingray was unveiled simultaneously in the game and uh at the detroit auto show a couple of years back which you know, okay, it's a little bit of a gimmick, right? But it does show that there's a what happens in the game and how that makes people think about cars matters. It it matters. It matters to a manufacturer as big as as Nissan or Chevy, um, and that that doesn't happen by accident. It was it was it was Kaz's you know vision that mm-hmm. he has spent two decades plus now working on and getting just right. And yeah, it, it is really remarkable, even as somebody who's not a, a gamer. A gamer. Um, it. You can't ignore it. Yeah, as a, as a very serious gamer myself, I'm just joking. I, I as, as you heard on the last podcast about video games, I'm not a, a huge gamer, but um, t- we, you know, as a staff, absolutely recognize the uh, this game as a cultural force and as something that has changed and improved car culture. So that's why uh, Kaz won this award. I hope um, we'll get to meet him and hand it to him at some point. Um, because you know uh, it's important. I think, like I said, to, to recognize this stuff and, and to thank the people who contribute to the uh, the long term vitality of this thing that we care so much about. So with that, um, we can end this segment. We'll oh, ex- we'll say check out. You God know, damn it, gotta subscribe because the the art that went along with this. We oh had, yeah, uh, Chris, super rad. Chris Melvin illustrated. Um, <coughs> really cool. I mean, yeah. these things would look great as posters. You know, they're they're really intricate expressive uh illustrations yeah and so we with the awards issue if you're not a subscriber what's wrong with you but if you're not a subscriber um this is something we do every year we choose a different illustrator to to draw the the images that that go with um these stories um sorry marty davis our staff illustrator was angling extremely hard for this year didn't get it um tara had our, our director had another idea 
Uh, Marty, you're on the list. You'll you'll get to do it at some point. Um, but these these look super rad. I couldn't be happier with them. I think probably these, these are the best ones we've oh, done so far. far. Yeah. yeah. Um, so check it out. And uh, like I said, we're going to end this segment. We're going to move on to the If We Did It segment of the uh, the podcast. We're going to excuse our motorsports guys. Everybody say goodbye to the motorsports guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Um, <laughs> and we're moving on. Uh, so we've excused our motorsports boys. Kicked them out. Kicked them out. And now uh, we're here. Graham is still here. Uh, but we're being joined by Wesley Wren, executive producer. Yep. And Natalie Neff. Natalie Neff, former road test editor today, executive editor. We've got two executives. Oh, no. Uh, also, assistant executive producer. Yeah, also, yeah. Ex- yeah, that's true. That's correct. Um, for the first for the first half of the podcast. Yep, that's correct. She was assisting. Trying, or, not, trying not to fall asleep in the corner. Yep. Like there. Um, and we're going to talk. Gig. So we don't do, as we mentioned in the first part of the podcast, we don't do a car uh, of the year or 10 best or um, any number of other, uh, uh, six, you know, car uh, awards anymore. Um but what this podcast presupposes is maybe we did. Uh, so we're going to talk. We did this like super, super scientific uh, process uh, where we looked at the ad budgets for all the automakers and that. No, just joking. Uh, where we. Uh, the, the checks cleared, Rory. Did they? Yeah, by the way. Yeah. That's the first time that's happened. Uh, so we uh, what we did was we. Um, emailed out to the whole staff and said name the top five cars uh that you drove this year and then we compiled the list based on um the number of votes uh that each car got uh so in some cases two votes was enough to get on the list Mm -hmm. um and yeah i gotta explain that a lot of the coolest cars only one of us on staff got to drive Right. It's an unfair advantage to them. And also, uh, I think Graham mentioned this morning, maybe, that one of the cars on the list, in fact, we drove last year, but that didn't discount it because we drove it this year also. And people enjoyed it this year. You should have let me drive the Viper, Graham, and be on the list. (laughs) It's like an album of the year, except it's every album. Yeah. Right. Sometimes they're albums from two years ago. Yeah. Just... You listened to it this year. So, and you enjoyed it this year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the most important thing to know about this process is that it was extremely half-assed and not based on any kind of uh, repeatable or um, logical uh, kind of uh, setup. So without further ado, we're going to start at number five, uh, the Volvo XC60. Which one is that? Who wants to tell me about that? It's the, like the mid-size crossover. Oh, our, it's our, really good. Uh, of the mid-size crossovers, yeah. I mean, it's the one I'd buy. The V ninety. That's the that's the one to have. The V ninety wagon. That's the Volvo. That's the that, prop, and that's that, the correct Volvo. That is where my vote landed. On it's exact okay. same powertrain. So we're changing sure. this. We're yeah, changing right. it right now. It's the Volvo v90 wagon yes. yep congratulations to the volvo v90 wagon you just uh were added to the list my thing about that all the volvos share powertrains and basically everything interiors uh-huh. yeah they just 
grow or can get taller and get lower. Yeah. So why would you want the taller one? Yeah, the, the it, v, it's the, handsome. Not Those as handsome as nice. the V90. That, that V90 is That's a, the prettiest part. Yeah. Look, it's not just me. It Jay is. also liked it. Ramy? Yep. Jeez. Wow. He's a practical lad. Well, hold on. Ramy <laughs> went to the launch of that car. No, I did. So how does Ramy know? What? He was part of the email chain. <laughs> All right, I don't. I'm not buying this. I think he, he spent a week in one. He did. Yeah. I think okay. he did do a web. Yeah. Didn't he yeah. do a web piece okay. on it also? So we changed it to the uh, Volvo V90. Congratulations yeah. to Volvo. But you're right. The inside, in, in, as far as interior design cues and exterior design cues, the whole line benefits from. You know, whether it's the great. sedan to the the wagon, it it's like they're, they're consistent and it looks pretty good no matter what you put on the interiors. I like. They got a very Scandinavian minimalist. Uh, yeah thing to them so nice cars and I, you know uh incredible great story for volvo too uh where there were certainly some moments in the last decade where we didn't know if volvo would continue to be a thing they um they got a cash infusion from china um and seemingly have done the right things with that money i agree uh, it's actually surprising um when when the chinese bought them or took over um you know, there was sort of a hold your breath, see what happens with Volvo. Yeah. And only the right things happened they with the entire. Let them do yeah. what they were going to do. It and seems that, like. it's, you know, it's like if you're if you're the investor, it takes an incredible amount of faith to to take Volvo at face value when they say, listen, if we just had the money, we would be able to fix all this. And, and there was was there a model year where there were no Volvos at all? And then yeah. the XC90, they rolled out. That was the first of the redesigns. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think they were still selling cars, but there were no... Yeah, like, there were no new cars for a while. They were just sort of in a holding pattern. And then, boom, when they brought out the XC90, it was like, okay, this is like, like where this is going. Yeah, yeah. so congratulations to Volvo uh, for winning with the V90, uh, a car that we all really, really love. Um, I'm sorry, Wesley, this... If you're looking for us to stick to the, the no, no, list, that's fine. Wesley actually like typed up a list and uh, emailed it out, printed it. We all had printed copies. Put some, I mean, at least... Printed copies that were wholesalely ignoring in front of Yeah, at least six, eight minutes into this. <laughs> hey, uh, ten. Ten, maybe. Ten yeah. whole minutes. Yeah, if you count waiting for the printer, I guess. Yeah. Um, okay, so number four, a car that I cannot believe is not higher. Let's move it higher. This is number, okay. number okay. two now. Mind uh, you, mm-hmm. listener, this is all based on our own internal votes. What are you trying to say? The, we can we can move. Yeah, it's the okay. cars wherever. People don't know that, what, who voted. What, that is what is happening. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the AMG GTR, a podcast favorite. A podcast. Yeah, we talked about this last week or two or two times ago. Yep. Green hell mango good question. paint. Uh, we did talk about it. Um, this so this one, I think we all drove the AMG GT when it came out. Uh, liked I did it. not drive this car when it came around. It doesn't, a car seat doesn't fit in it. Yeah, but you could like ride around the parking lot. I could, I suppose. Yeah. I did suggest a ratchet strapping the. Uh, you did. Yeah, to, yeah. I may have to do that. I may have to, to do that in the future with so, some of these. So we all really liked the AMG GT. Um, but I think now having driven the GTR, the confusingly named AMG GTR, this one has quite a bit more edge to it and feels a lot more special where the GT is a very elegant, competent, fast uh, GT car. This car feels 
a little bit more like a supercar to me. Is that? Oh, I would agree. The insane ten thousand dollar AMG uh, Green Hell Mag- Mango. Mango, Mango, Magno, Magno, Green Hell Magno paint. That's good paint color. Uh, yeah. That was cool. Um, the big wing is cool, but the the way it drives is a little stiffer. It's got a huge dial on the middle of the dashboard where you can like adjust yeah, the level traction. of traction control, which is so dumb and awesome. It like that's like that's like an idea that i would have and then like you'd bring it to the to the design team and they'd be like no that's really stupid you can't do that uh but they did it and it's not stupid it's awesome it's yellow and it's got like a little uh light indicator for how much uh risk you are does uh, it go all the way yourself. off Can oh yeah you shut it all oh, the yeah. way off? completely all well yeah. yeah i think i mean yeah. as much as i mean you can as much any... off as i as i chose to to experience it. it's it's basically undrivable if it's cold out on the the tires that they give you yeah i mean all, all supercars yeah. but like yeah. i i admire that a car company as practical as mercedes would build a car that's undrivable in the cold like that i think that's kind of cool that the, i mean the gt is like it's a good gt car but it's it has none of the emotion that a viper does and that's what we talked about on the last podcast mm-hmm. it was comparing this and the viper you know this this adds a lot of the drama that the the GT and even the GTC was missing, I think. Yeah, this so. this was a cool. Um, like I said, has the edge, has that. You know, like I said, it, it's the difference between uh, a Carrera and a, a GT3 or a GT2, where there's some drama here, and it's it is something that is on first glance uh, special and exciting. Um, but now, since we moved it, where does it fall on the list? Number two. Number yeah. two? Okay. Well, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a number two. Okay. Uh, so Wes is... So a, a non, non-linear uh, card of the year award. This is... Like it's, it's, not a, it's not a This is all hypothetical. Yeah. So I believe I, I... Yeah, this is an if it's, we did it. Theoretically, if this we, would be more linear. Yeah. Okay. If we did it... No, I mean, to be fair, too, if, if we did do this, this is about as professional as it would be if we did it in real life, too. That's true. Yeah. Um, so number four, four, four <laughs> is now the Chevy Bolt, Bolt EV. Well, it's just, yeah, but it's just, there's not a Bolt uh, V8. It's just the there's no. But I think Bolt. technically the name is Bolt yeah. EV. Well, the, why, the GM it's redundant. Are, yes. Then you screwed up your list here, pal. No, I know. I was referencing the shorthand. Oh the boy, Bolt. this is not going good. Uh, okay, so so kind of a different car than the MG GTR. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a totally different car, but one that we were super impressed with. Um, I drove it. It's actually fun to drive. Um, it's totally fun to drive. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. But most importantly, probably the first electric car of the modern electric car era that could that could just be your car. Totally. Um, and I think like you know the E Golf is rad. Uh, I love that car. Uh, the Kia is awesome. Um, there's a, there's a bunch of good EVs out there, but they all have the you know kind of sub uh, until the new Leaf comes out, hundred mile range thing, which is like. Yes, that's enough to do most of your driving, but you still have to think ahead a little bit about when you're going to refuel and stuff. This is a car with a 250, is that right? 230 mile range. Um, Something like I think it's like the, 286 and ideal. We don't have it written down. That's but like 70 degrees. At, how do we not know, have that written down? Hour. Jimmy's going to be so mad about this. That's that's absolutely the kind of thing Jimmy's going to be like. The point is, like, the, the, the Tesla 
yeah. does this stuff, but it the, costs the Model S. And, S. Yeah, the Model S and Model X will do that, but they cost more than double the price. Yeah, this this feels like a car and not a car shaped tech experiment. Yeah. No, it Which feels I, like a car and not a trend or a fad that you have car. to wear on your wrist right. so when that I, everybody knows. In the review, I compared it to kind of like how when there were early adopters of PCs or whatever, you know, they were kind of clunky, didn't always work, but there was like, and they were very expensive, And but there was like the cool factor that went along with, at least in the mind of the people who bought them, like being the early adopter and they would accept the sacrifices of inconvenience and clunkiness and whatever for that pride of being the 238 miles that's 238 i just no. looked it up sorry um, but this is this is like remember when the first imac came out and it was like oh wow like it's a computer that you don't have to be a computer person person to have it's just like it'll do word processing it'll get online it'll do all that i don't have to think about updating or virus protection or anything like that this was kind of like that moment where it's like oh it's an electric car that it's just a, a car. doesn't feel like a compromised product, like they stuck a powertrain into another car. And B, yeah, it's just a car. It's not like, ooh, will my over-the-air update take away cruise control? Or, But even like even less practically than, than that, I, it just, you know, you see the people driving around increasingly in their Teslas, and you know... They're assholes. You know that. Yeah. And you know that they're driving around... Do, you know, with their Tesla badges almost under magnifying glasses so that you don't miss their driving a freaking Tesla. Well, and with their I, vanity plate. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so no gas. Well, but the, the one buzz buzz here does yeah. have a vanity. Whoever that is has a vanity plate on theirs. So it, the vanity plate it says is bolt. bolt, bolt <laughs> it already says both on the car. But so, so my thing with Tesla, and I, there are a lot of reasons to dislike Tesla, um, many of which I have cataloged at great length. Uh, I think their biggest sin, I you know, I think, so I think the, the thing with the, the Bolt, uh, before I get to their biggest sin, is that unlike a Tesla, I don't feel like I'm beta testing something. I know it's been through Chevy's um, Chevy's process of, of getting to the point where they'll release the car, where it's, you know, it's going to work. Uh, you know, obviously that process has failed a few times, somewhat notably in the past, but for the most part, um, it's a real consumer product that they have confidence in. They know they're not going to get sued over. Whereas Tesla um, has the luxury of selling to Tesla fans um, who who will not sue Tesla no matter what because they don't want to see their God fail. But um, the biggest sin, I think, of Tesla and the, the thing that still hurts EVs um, generally, and if you look at EV sales across, uh, across the board, um, they don't sell, I think in large part because people, because of Tesla largely view them as exotic or they view them as something, a lifestyle accessory, which, um, which hurts, which hurts cars like the bolt and it hurts cars like, um, the golf, uh, the golf EV, uh, e-golf. I mean, um, excuse me, because normal consumers, people like my mom, people like my neighbors, um, see, an electric car as future tech or or something that we'll all get to down the road when you know from an environmental standpoint and for a number of reasons it is absolutely essential that we transition as many people out of the fossil fuel uh, cars and into EVs as possible um, partially because I want to preserve my ability to drive fossil fuel cars uh, into the future but 
um, it is it is absolutely an essential, um, you know, uh, societal priority that I think Elon and his weird acolytes have um, have handicapped by exotifying the idea of the electric vehicle. The bolt is the and or is the antidote to that. And I'm just looking down here at these beautiful printouts that um, Wesley supplied us with, and note that the you mentioned like science experiments or you know the exotic nature of uh, yeah. the perception of the, of EVs and when you're talking about a car that gets 238 miles uh, of range without uh, an ounce of gasoline and you can get it for 37,000 plus incentives on top of that you know tax incentives whatever mm-hmm. i mean that's like that's average car money right i mean yeah and, it's less than the average and on top price. of it it really was a fun like yeah. weird little car to drive super yeah. torquey um, it's got the, space for people and things. Yeah, more cargo space than you'd expect because there's no powertrain. I the mean, dash. No gas powertrain. The dash looks like an iMac. And it works. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's, it's a functional item. Um, so that's that's why it made our list uh, this year. I think a really cool car. And I think, too, if you're listening to this um, and haven't driven an EV, uh, go check out a Bolt. Um, you know, I, I think what I said earlier you know, listen. the The gas thing is is not good for the world, and we know that. Um, it's still super fun, and I hope to enjoy driving gas powered cars for the rest of my life. Um, but in order to do that, um, the daily commuting stuff, the grocery getting, the kid picking upping, all that stuff should increasingly be done in in electric cars. Or, and the third candidate. For car of the year. Well, I gotta say before Hold on. before that, I unfortunately I cannot take it up to again. This is not something that I would do every week, but I can't take it on an extended drive to visit, say my parents. You know, it's just yeah. out of range, yeah. so it it's not. It's not, not all quite the way. But there. if there was one of those four forty supercharger but spots along the way, the Bolt doesn't do that. Tesla, does, you would still have to charge slowly. You yeah. know, it, unfortunately. It does not have a supercharging option from what I've read. At least but not implemented yet. You can't use a 440? Not for, I don't think they have a rapid charge that's as fast as the Tesla supercharger thing. Because I looked into it. I mean, I, I seriously was thinking like, oh, my fiance needs a new car. There's one right on, this, there's one right on Woodward up, up yeah. like three blocks from my house. But I, I think it's not, the, it's not a Tesla so, branded. So to Graham's point, um, you know, this is not something that you could probably have as your only car. Right. And uh, it's a car that I would be happy to live with for 90 percent of what i do with cars but it's not it's not quite there i won't pretend that it is but yeah, you so, take the packard to go but yeah, those are, I, yeah exactly in graham's case I'm, you you drive the tesla every day and then when you need to go on a long road trip you get in the 52 packard or what, 51 50, I always or, say 50. And, <laughs> and chevy bolt or yeah. my extremely fuel efficient 88 wagoneer you know which will undo all of the emissions savings that i did for don't say undo, say balance. You want, and, oh, it'll and, undo. <laughs> yeah. No, that car, it's got yeah, no kettles a, lot of, a lot of black smoke. But the, uh, so moving on, like I said, go drive a Bolt. Um, even like even just like as a car guy, it's a cool experience to go rip that car around, or car girl, or car person, I should say. Um, moving on to number three now, the Honda Civic. Ah, uh, yes. The baby Gundam. Uh, super cool car. Honda is kind of re-embracing or going back to its its performance heritage. This is the flagship, I guess, of that um, under the Honda badge anyway. Um, well, the thing is, it was never gone. 
It just was never here. What are you talking about? I said that doesn't make sense. No, the type R yeah, yeah. existed for. But Honda, Honda, I think generally is a corporation, kind of lost track of its performance heritage. Oh, for o- sure, for the last decade or so, yeah. um, and now they are, especially in the U.S. market, back on their bullshit uh, as far as as motorsports and performance, um, which is a good thing. That's are you marking that? Are you going to take that out? It was, it was going away. The my screensaver. It looked up. like sorry. It looked like Wesley was going to cut out because I, I did a swear. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, hat tip to Brandon Wardell. Huh? He says uh, back on my bullshit a lot on his podcast. Uh, what's his podcast? I don't know. Anyway, right. listen. Uh, it's I do know. Actually, I've listened to it and it's very funny. Um, but the the point of this is that will definitely this is definitely getting cut out. But the point is, Honda is back. Um, Embracing their performance heritage. This is the flagship. The car looks like a Gundam. Uh, it looks totally insane, but is really, really fun to drive. So I hear. Uh, you didn't drive it? No. I didn't drive it either. I don't get to drive oh, anything. Boy. Well, don't look at it too long because it looks cool at first glance, but then looks progressively worse the more you. There's a lot study going it. on with the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. Disagree. There's there's the fake vent. I can't get over the fake vents. You have been you have been on those fake vents for weeks. Because they're emblematic of what. The whole design, it's like somebody had a cool idea of what it looked like, and then they just went from concept to that, not realizing that uh, a production two liter turbo four doesn't need uh, supercharged V8 levels of like air, air. flow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of fake plastic blacking out stuff. I don't understand. The number, it, of, the number of quote unquote conversations you had with our our staff engineer, Robin Warner, who's not here right he now. He should appreciate the need for functional events more than anybody. <laughs> yeah. But I think you also took issue with the fact that Honda asserted that everything was right, functional exactly. on the car, yeah. and then you point out the fake vents. But you so can't Graham's see it when you're driving. He feels it. like he was lied to. I do. And they they do serve a function. They uh, they look sweet. Disrupt the air. That's disrupt what air. that's yeah. what Robin's contention they, is. I call bullshit on that. That doesn't even make. But yeah, I, well, that, I, I a, feel this your is a styling trend it. that's not unique to Honda by any means. But um, can you can you go? I mean. Can you go buy those? Can you go buy real vent inserts for that right away? No, That's you'd have to. You'd have to drum them out. out. Yeah, you'd have yeah, to drum yeah. them out. That's extremely race car. I like that. Uh, Ralph Shields did that with his Viper yeah. ACR and it looks sweet. He yeah. Took all the vents out, all right. so it's just so we'll have to next time we get one, we'll take we'll a little Dremel and very heavily. Yeah. Uh, we'll modify just, the just type R. For the record, uh, Brandon Wardell's podcast is called Yeah, but still, yeah, but still, yeah, it's it's very good. You should check it out. It's in iTunes. Uh, Probably, I don't know. Go it is wherever yeah. you get uh, podcasts these days. Brandon Wardell's, yeah, but still, uh, this is probably the first time Brandon Wardell has been mentioned on a car podcast, which I feel very, <laughs> probably. very proud of. Um, anyway, the Type R. Anyway, the Type R. Looks aside, it's it's one of the most unique performance cars. Like it, it doesn't feel anything like a Civic that's hopped up it feels like a bigger departure from the civic si even than the wrx does from the impreza or the golf r does from the gti or whatever like it's 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 weird and it's really cool that they managed to stick with front wheel drive when everybody else was doing all-wheel drive Mm -hmm. which is kind of in some ways the obvious thing to do uh is to go to all-wheel drive i have to say that and that is why ultimately i'd still rather have a focus rs Uh, why what do you need all-wheel drive for for drift mode yeah, okay. Graham just gave me a really mean look. Uh, <laughs> it's I think it was mode. I think that's called an eye roll. Yeah. Uh drift mode. I get that a lot from Graham. And a handbrake. 
that's why he's the features editor. Right, but it's it's a front wheel drive. Like that's the thing is if I'm glad it stayed as a front wheel drive hot hatch, right? Like it it didn't become Why are you glad? Cuz it's that? just a cool different thing. Like you've got Type R, you've got WRX STI, you've got Focus RS. They're all different cars in their own way, but they're all you know, the factory hot rod, all wheel drive. They're all interesting in their own ways. And this is just something different. I think it's cool. But I think it's different and it executes it well enough to justify it. Cool. Yeah. It's, right? like it's a sweet car. It's not, it doesn't feel compromised because it's front wheel drive. It just feels different and cool. Um, I, it's impressive that there's no torque steer. He was cool. I'd be curious to see if there's Thousands more torque steer the when sushi. the. Uh, Comped. What? No. no. God. You know, you know yeah, what I'm talking about. All right. yeah. uh, I'd be curious to see what happens when the pavement warms up and the tires can actually bite instead of channeling all that power into, you know, tire loss attraction. Mm-hmm. Like if it still hooks up when it can grip. But it's a lot of fun. And the, the what about the three uh the three hole exhaust, the three outlet exhaust? What did, There's some thing about back pressure and someone explained I, it to me. I, yeah. I don't know. Sure, whatever. I think it just looks cool. Does it? I think so. Okay. Um, it what would be cool is if they took the uh, took it to its logical, most logical extreme, and, and did a more aggressive, maybe even a Bozuku style, yeah. like a ten foot uh, extension off the exhaust, like going vertical. Mm. That would be rad. Called the uh, Type R Zero. That's ooh. Oh, that's good. That's how I'm gonna make my money. Actually, is in the aftermarket selling those. Uh, gonna weld a couple, couple of those out, prototype them this weekend. Um, all right, so moving along to the theoretical winner. No, the actual winner, because we're skipping number two. No, no, but like, if we did this. Oh, yeah. No, the yeah, actual right. winner in yeah. the if we did this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the actual winner, if we if we if if there was a winner, it would be this. Right. We're, if it's, our driver it's gloves not, fit. You must have quit. It's not this, but if it was, no. If it, if it was, it would be. Anyway, Julia. Alpha Julia Quadrifolio. Um... This one. How many? How many people put this on their list, Wes? Um, I think five. I didn't participate in this because I. It, it behooves me not to have opinions about things. It now. does. Uh, but it was it, it, a phenomenal car, and I think not. Obviously, I don't have an opinion on it, but so cool to see a car entering um, this. I guess what performance compact uh, luxury car segment that is different, that is philosophically different, uh, that looks different, sounds different, and offers a different driving experience. And I, this car actually ended up on my list, at the top of my list, and I didn't even drive the Quadrifoglio. So you drove the TI. I drove the TI, and it made, I never Shout stopped smiling. I never stopped smiling the whole time. The chassis is really, really it's good. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's ATS it's, good. It's the best part of the car. Yeah, the whole the whole fit in the car, sitting inside it, like I, there was not a single thing I could complain about, like the way a car felt around me. There the was way it, one complaint that I had, which is the stick shift, lack of stick shift. Oh, well, complain about the lack of something. But what, did you have any complaints about anything that was existent in the car? I don't have an opinion on it. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> Um, I've if you did have an opinion, <laughs> yeah, I mean there are quibbles. The, I, I think you can make quibbles with any of these cars in the, in this kind of, like I said, you know the 
whatever the M3 fighter. Uh, yeah, I mean the quibbles I had were transmission related. Also, you know, it didn't it didn't kick down as fast as I needed it to at times or whatever. But I literally like had a shit eating grin on my face the whole time because it was just so fun to drive. And that's it, yeah. it feels light. It feels and that's that's the you know whatever quibbles you have with the car. And there have been some rather significant quibbles with the car. I think if you read Sam Smith's thing in Road and Track about um, his track day with the I think Julia. everybody who used this car I in any, I no, in any never, bigger yeah, way. Yeah. We, but we never had any problems with the cars. So but people say. who took uh, over-the-road the, trips on yeah. them, track time. The, 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 story, the stories abound. Yeah. yeah. But I think it, it, what is important uh, about this car and, and why it's on our list and a number of other lists is because it's an experience. And that is that is something that, like, in the M3 uh, fighter, it, it, th- those cars have become such a formula and such a um, – it's so competitive and it's so important to get those cars right that they've become a certain thing. And to see something that is a different approach to it – is a car person is super duper exciting. Uh, and I super duper, that's how exciting it is. <laughs> there, it, it's just different and it's an experience and that's what an alpha has to be. I mean, I think. Has to be. It, like, cause otherwise there's no reason for it to exist. I mean, you can all day long say, yeah, go buy an M3. This is the car you want, go buy an M3. Go buy a, a Mercedes. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. But, but to give someone a reason to not choose one of the Germans, an S4 or RS4 or whatever, it has to be a different experience. It has to be something special. And this car, from the quadrifolio badge to the way it looks to the way it sounds, is special and it's different. Um, and that's that's really really heartening. Uh, Graham, do you have anything on this? Or no, I loved it. It was uh, it was the only one in that class that I would I would buy. Honestly, I don't. You know, you don't have to drive it super hard to get an experience out of it, which is part of what I liked about it. But from as little that I tried to push it, you know, it was still rewarding. But yeah, from, you know, just cruising around to driving, you know, I think I put a couple hundred miles on it the weekend I had it, just driving around aimlessly. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it was light, it was lively, it was responsive. And unlike the M3, you didn't have to be going 95 miles an mm-hmm. hour to, to get that feeling out of it. And the TI was like that too. You know, I, I spent a day in that and it was, uh, it, it just felt more animated than, a Mercedes mm-hmm. or a, an M3 or a, a four, uh, what are they? 340. I know would be the yeah three three forty yeah so so uh, so the rundown the rundown is a if if there was a rundown this yep. is what it would be advertisers get ready um, the Volvo V90 the Bolt the Honda Civic Type R the uh, Mercedes AMG GTR and uh, the Alpha. So congratulations to, hypothetical congratulations to the hypothetical winners of this contest that does not exist. Um, Will I, they be receiving um, the hypothetical awards in the mail anytime soon? Hypothetically. She makes paper plate awards. Yeah. Ooh, that's not a bad idea. No. Well, no, if you're an automaker and you're listening to this, which, God, I hope this is not the case, you go ahead and make your own award. Uh, you can say uh, you're the Auto Week Podcast hypothetical uh, car, good car to buy. I think is a good good name for it. Uh, <laughs> or even better, a car we liked. Yeah, yeah. Cars the Auto Week podcast liked uh, for for the year for for twenty seventeen uh, in Hell World where we live now. Um, 
2018, that, it should happen again. Hellworld or I, I probably yeah. I'm kind of banking on it being better because I, I just can't do this again. Uh, anyway, that's probably a good place to wrap up, or as good a place to wrap up as as we're gonna find here. Um, join us again whenever these come out uh, for episode 18 uh, of the Auto Week podcast. Closing in on that 20th episode, we should have a real. I think we, we try to have James Tate on maybe for the 20th episode. That would sure. be a good. Idea. I think episode 20 will be the big. Uh, That'll be the turning point. The, well, the monster trucks blow out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Monster trucks part two. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Thanks. We'll talk to you. Uh, we'll see you next time. Don't forget to like, subscribe. Oh, yeah. Uh, executive producer Wesley would like it to remind you to like, subscribe, give us a five star rating. I don't care if you liked it or not. It doesn't cost you anything. Just lie. Give it five stars. Goodbye. Bye.